Hello and welcome to No Plans to Merge. I'm your host, Caleb Porzio. I am your other host, Daniel Colborn. How are you? Daniel Colborn, I I'm well. How are you? That's it's great to hear. We should say that it's worth mentioning that today's show is sponsored by Honey Badger and Rogue Amoeba. New sponsor, new sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> If Hannah heard that, she'd lose it. She hates when I do. Uh, but yeah, we'll tell you more about the sponsors later. For now, the show. Back to the show. Uh, Caleb, Caleb, you've told me that you have a thousand things to talk about. Oh, I have so many things. Just so many. Where do That's we start? Great. I'm in a real listening type of a mood, so I would love to hear about the things that you have to talk about. That's real kind of you, D. Cole. Well, it's kind, but it's also the way of the world. So let me start with um, my war on bundle, bundling, on building. Yep. JavaScript builds. Mm-hmm. Anti-webpack. Caleb Anti-webpack. Yeah, we're starting anti-webpack, to refine my anti-Ajax. position, me and the decal. And I'm definitely not anti-JavaScript. I'm resistant. I am um, framework resistant. Sure. But I'm anti-build. I tell you what. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, here is, you may have seen my blog post, but I recently did this uh, blog post about how to get Babel um, to compile your inline JavaScript. So I'm in the habit of writing little inline JavaScript snippets for certain things. Right. I'm um, not. No one, no one does that. You're not. And no one does that. Yeah, that's funny. I used, I mean, I hate, there was a giant period of my life where I hated inline JavaScript, of mm-hmm. course, like anyone would, because yeah, it's always junk. Person. Yep. But um, I sort of, but, what's that? But. But the reason inline JavaScript sucks, tell, tell me why JavaScript inline, like inline JavaScript tags suck. Well, it's funny because I was actually thinking about this. The primary difference, this is this is in no way true, by the way. I'm just like spouting off at the mouth with things that aren't true. But you could make an argument that the primary difference between Vue.js and React.js is that React.js components are JavaScript files that have a render method that encapsulates the template. Whereas Vue.js components are template files that have a script tag that encapsulates the JavaScript. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard for me to not see past that to the reality that that template tag is just rendered down into render functions just like JSX is. Sure, of course. What I'm saying, though, is like, the it betrays the preferences of like how you want to think about your code right like to me the old the old way the the bad old days we wrote websites right and then we would write some javascript that like tacked on to our website right yeah but the JavaScript was like an addition or like a, a secondary thing. It was like a thought separate from the website. And so that's why we had to do all this stupid 
you know, getting elements by class name and then, mm-hmm. you know, looping through why Dom so bad and all this other stuff, right? Yeah. Um, that was like the bad old jQuery days. And Vue, to me, feels like, all right, well, if you're comfortable in that paradigm, you'll be comfortable in this paradigm. Like, here's the template and then here's the JavaScript that does stuff to it, you know? Um and I just tend to like JavaScript to be more of like, okay, I don't want to deal with the DOM. I don't want to deal with the the natural way of things. I want to create the DOM because the DOM sucks and I don't want to have to interact with it. Yeah. You yeah. know, so I want to interact at a higher level. So I guess the reason I hate script tags is that like once you're in script tag land, you're already like resigned to the fact that like I'm going to have to do JavaScript the bad old way, which is like reacting to the DOM. And I know that that's not necessarily true. Like you could just have like div ID app and then a script tag that has like an entire SPA in it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, but like that's going to be, you know, that's like our classic joke of like the index.php framework, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely ridiculous. You could also, I agree with everything you're saying. Uh, I don't agree with your preferences, but I agree with that. I I think you're right on. Um, but the, like you could, there are ways of writing inline JavaScript that are more declarative and mm-hmm. not like um, why Dom no good type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I like that why Dom no good is the opposite of declarative. That's totally true. <laughs> <laughs> One, well, I guess why Dom no good encapsulates all of the Dom bad, all of the Dom uh-huh. why Dom bad. But <laughs> there are sub categories like why Dom no good because the Dom API is restricting and annoying mm-hmm. at times, and why Dom no good because why do we have to actually touch the bare Dom? That's yeah. part of it. Like you, you don't want to touch the real Dom. You want the virtual dom libraries mm-hmm. to handle that yes and you want to deal with a pure ideal javascript rec- representation of a dom yeah and then have all of the why dom no good abstracted away yep yeah and that's reasonable that's totally reasonable and that's all that's why everybody loves all these things um but sort of pushing this envelope this no this no framework i call it node.js i'm just going to still keep calling it node.js even though i'm talking about writing js yeah you already got the stickers made so yeah the stickers are made not going back on that i'm not shipping a third time i tell you tell yeah. you that tell um, you what so it turns out yes js so i have to reship all the packs um so node.js pushing this this sort of paradigm going back to basics and using css is here's a thing CSS is a language. Mm-hmm. It's, but I think people don't think that because it's a purely declarative language. There's nothing mm-hmm. imperative about it. You mm-hmm. can't, there are no procedures. Mm-hmm. There are no commands. Mm-hmm. There is only outcomes. There's only describing mm-hmm. outcomes, mm-hmm. which at first, I mean, it's a markup language, so that makes sense. Um, I guess like HTML in that sense. But uh css yeah so i this this kind of like enlightenment hit me when i was writing a little like because i'm pushing this node.js envelope i end up sometimes running into those things where i feel like i'm writing like crappy javascript from the old days yep um 
But I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I need to still preserve the good that I found from Vue and React and those types of things. This declarative um, ideal, you know, where you focus on the data of the mm-hmm. of the component, not on the listening to events and changing things manually. You you change data and then everything reacts to it, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So CSS is already a reactive framework. It will react yes. to data changes. Correct. Like automatically. So you yeah. can you can now, if you want, instead of like changing, instead of listening for a click on a button and changing a class, um, toggling a class on something else, you can listen for a click on the button and change a data tag or something. Mm-hmm. And, then and then you can have CSS select for that, that with d- an describes outcomes based on that data tag and it can hide things and show things and animate things and all sorts of stuff. Yep. Yeah. I just thought that was cool. Yeah, man. That was one of my aha I, moments was like, whoa. I've always, I've actually been like, I was like a deep CSS developer long before I could actually write code. You know, like I, that was just like my route in was like, the thing I got best at first was CSS. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, like, there's all sorts of things that I kind of s- skipped. You know, like, I've always thought of CSS kind of in the way you're talking about, where, like, you just kind of, like, you handle the world in all of the ways the world can be with your CSS. And then you just, like, let everything happen by, like, changing the what css is looking for right like you just you just feed a different state of the world into your css machine and outcomes like the way you want it to be yeah um and so like like for example like i've always been a big fan of the like before something happens while it's happening after something has happened trio of classes you know yeah and like doing the doing the thing where like you uh you like enable the like something's happening class and then you enable the something has happened class um and like those types of things um are cool the what you're talking about where you're like actually like changing attributes and using those as your selectors yeah uh, i only really like to do that with native attributes like focus or selected or checked or something like that really um yeah because otherwise it just feels like okay so somewhere in my code i have logic like something is setting this attribute right this data attribute yeah there's some piece of code that's setting that attribute and that code could just as well be setting a class sure. as setting that attribute and that feels more idiomatic to me to just set a class really feels the opposite to me really yeah because it the class is the the uh i mean then well it's probably another one of those scenarios where there's no right answer you're just moving things you know if there's two worlds if one you're like putting putting responsibility on one side of the wall or the other exactly yep yeah i think i prefer like when you are toggling class names you are leaking in that uh display concern world um into your javascript 
structure, like function concern, you know, concerned world. Um, And so you do things like you explicitly name classes like. Oh, I kind of get what you're saying. So if you use the attributes, you're like totally decoupled. Yeah. Yep. Like you're naming. Well, no, that's not totally true. Because now, now you're leaking your logic world into your display world. Exactly. That's why I don't think there's a clear, a clear cut answer. Huh. But yeah, no, that's a that's a really good observation. I like, I like thinking about it that way. Yeah. So that's sort of what I've been thinking about, and have to remind myself to think about using. It's kind of the that's the stimulus way of thinking. It's like store your state in the DOM in data attributes, and stimulus has some different. You know, no, nothing I, sounds worse to me. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. It's pretty great. The thing is, with um, with good CSS, you can get away with so much, and you can write so much less JavaScript. For sure, that one. That honestly, the reason I got good at CSS was that I was afraid of JavaScript. Like that's great. When I was an early developer, you know, mm-hmm. like when I was like a front end developer, like I knew html and css well enough to like make three column layouts and drop downs and stuff yeah um and so then something would come along where it was like uh okay like i remember one of the first websites i got like paid to make was uh it was a video company and they wanted their website to be kind of like a film strip where it was basically like a giant carousel of like full screen images that was slide sideways mm-hmm. um and I thought about how to do it a million different ways. And what I ended up doing was uh, I had, I wrote all of the website basically in CSS. And then I changed a parent class to denote which uh, slide we were on. And that was it. You know, nice. and everything yeah. else, all of the animations, everything else happened in CSS. Yeah. So the only piece of JavaScript was when you press this button increase this number or decrease this number sweet and like it was only because i felt confident debugging css and i didn't feel confident debugging javascript and so i was afraid that if i like wrote anything more complicated in the javascript i was going to introduce a lot of bugs and not be able to fix them and then you know have a bad website it's true even if you knew javascript you would be introducing a lot of bugs and have to fix them like it yeah, I mean CSS has its own set of bugs, less so these days than it used to. It does, but I mean there are... the the risks of having a lot of CSS are actually are a lot smaller these days than they were when I started. I don't know. Yeah, I guess I don't know if that's true or false. Be- well, just because there's less like browser incompatibility and oh that type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Like it used to be like you could just like make a website and make like one small change that like fixed the bug everywhere except firefox now doesn't work at all yeah um yep that's true i guess i guess i yeah i don't know but css now with uh with transitions Mm, with basically with flexbox and transitions Everything is in oh flexbox transitions sibling pseudo selectors sibling selectors are so good child dude. selectors yep yep dude I've built like multi level complex drop downs with uh checked label and sibling sibling selectors hell yeah man you, you can do so much with those things it's insane like that 
someone if you don't know about those three things like take a weekend and just try and build like the most complex ui component you can with, with just those things <laughs> yeah because you can build absolutely buck wild insane shit with just those three things i well like livewire fiddle everything except for code mirror is completely css and those three things transitions sibling or slash child selectors depending on the structure and i'll either use checkboxes for the state Mm -hmm. toggling state or a focus state on a label Mm -hmm. um and trying to think if there's other ones but yeah dude you can get away with oh my gosh it's just ridiculous it's nonsense drop downs i my whole like drop down menus they like slide in like stripes little and menus. accordions you can use radio buttons for accordions yeah accordions are cake uh yeah accordions drop downs modals everything it's so cool everything and that, those are the big things those are the things that people you reach for sweet alert you reach for um yeah you know at the time bootstrap for accordions and for tabs and all those things like that's that's the stuff that we went to bootstrap for before and now a lot view does a lot of that i mean there's a lot of a lot of most people use view for other things heavily but i think one of the big things about view is like you're in a place where now you want you have a basic set of tools and i'm speaking for react as well you have a basic mm-hmm. set of tools that you can accomplish everything with so you can mm-hmm. be way more productive in that way um so this is this is something uh it's really interesting that (laughs) it's really interesting that we like get to the point of like a strong agreement on like how much you can do with css and like how you don't need to use javascript to do all of these things (laughs) and then the place i go with it is like so your big javascript code base can be so much less encumbered by all of these ui concerns and your place is like, so you don't have to have a JavaScript code base, right? Like you're thinking like, oh, like we can use CSS to do so many other things that we used to need JavaScript for. And so now we don't need JavaScript for, you know, in more cases, there are more yeah. cases where we don't need JavaScript. And I'm thinking like, man, if you just use CSS really well, then you can turn 10,000 lines of JavaScript into 3,000 lines of JavaScript and then just have like a really sick like state management app. That, yeah that's cool that i guess I, I see the two as you're right like the the premise sharing that same premise of css is killer you can do so much with it reduce your javascript but you're like use a really pure library as a, like a sick way of, of basically implementing the f- like functional structure of your app in a pure yeah. clean way yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then and then just like you know apply classes or whatever the problem is that i don't see the two one and this isn't this isn't fair play for this argument but Mm -hmm. i think most people um don't marry the two well i think when you introduce that paradigm it draws you in and you're not making components that use checkboxes for toggling states with css you're doing a vf you know yeah, nobody's yeah. doing that when you have view and you can just do that so you create your modal component with a slot yeah. you know and, and then an event got, that it fires up and you know now you've got a whole ball of yarn yep and like and this this i think that. is the thing this is the thing i think i'm like saying is like all the conditional rendering and nesting and stuff that we do in react and view like 
you could just avoid all of that and have your whole menu be a component that is always rendered, you know, and just mm-hmm. like all of the like, like what we tend to do is just like not even render the drop down until the until the state is set to like show drop down or whatever, yeah, you know, yeah. But like, screw that. Use CSS, you know. Keep the whole thing rendered. Have it just be a component called menu, and then. If you want to do fancy on-click handlers that like open a contact form in a modal when you click something, like you can do that if you want to, but um, but you don't need to. You don't need to have like a huge like all of that rendering, conditional rendering gobbledygook. Like you can hide all of that in your in your presentation layer i guess you know yeah yeah i guess so if i were you if i were if i had a full view front end i would not be using css select selectors and input states to toggle stuff i would still use data in components it would feel more homogenous to me more consistent you know yeah i guess i've recently gotten I've recently had some apps where like there was so much data and so much mapping and so much rendering, you know, that there were speed concerns Mm -hmm. and you don't have those concerns with CSS. CSS never has a performance concern ever. Right. It's like, (laughs) well, it does just when you transition animate and animate the wrong things, but sure. sure. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And if you, if you're selected performance issue, super broad, but like, you know, like hide it, showing and hiding something or like showing like a list of things mm-hmm. is never a performance problem in CSS. You know, it's just like, oh, yeah, the, here's all this DOM that we have. Now you can see it. Now you can't, you know. Yeah, there's something um, that feels very taken care of about the whole thing. You get to. Well, and it's just it's just like, like watch your, just watch your memory usage. Right. Like it just doesn't do anything. It's just there. Mm-hmm. whereas like you know say i needed to bring in like a list of a thousand things in react or whatever um and like show them right like there's a real memory concern because i'm now revealing a component that's mapping through a thousand things and then rendering a subcomponent for each of those things and blah blah you know like yeah no, it, no it, doubt it's a real memory concern you know yeah um my my thoughts are a how often do people run across those issues i think it's very rare i don't think people don't run across them but the, those cases are few and far between so i have to be consistent in my my philosophy that like all of this talk about nitty-gritty performance details with this dom diffing and everything is generally like not even a concern unless you're github rendering the diffs page or something well, it's usually it's usually the f- case that it's your fault, the performance issue, right? And that you don't have like it's usually the case that like you made a mistake somewhere and like you're doing more work than you needed to do on each cycle of this loop or whatever, right? So like you caused the performance problem, but if you did it, if you didn't have this loop in the first place, there would be no opportunity for you to cause the performance problem and then need to fix it. You know, like there have been many times where like 
I was like, why is this so effing slow? And I'm like, oh, because I like, you know, did something in a life cycle hook that now is like, you know, causing a memory leak or chewing up cycles, you know? Okay. Um, and the more you can like get that, the more logic you can get out of your state management, the less complicated it gets and the less opportunities there are for like those weird indecipherable bugs. Yes. And I think that is a sliding scale that you can just keep pushing that the less JavaScript you have, that's true for any scale of JavaScript, the less JavaScript you have, the less opportunity for bugs, the less opportunity, right? And not just in the normal sense, well, like, yeah, if you don't have code, you don't have bugs. But in the sense that, Mm -hmm. like, keep the functionality the same, or at least the UI um, solutions the same, I guess, and Mm -hmm. just slide that JavaScript scale from, like, pure React everything and slide it down and slide it down and slide it down, minimize, minimize. Um, And the farther you slide that down, the less headaches you have. (laughs) That is okay. That's an, my non-scientific now, metric of like. Now I'm going to take the opposite position I've been taking. Yeah. Your code will be completely unreadable by anyone who doesn't know what you did. Yeah, sometimes some things, but there's things like, like you're gonna. Someone's gonna like if someone comes into my React code base, they'll be like, "Oh, look! When he clicks this button, it toggles modal is open, and then the modal is open." Whereas someone else is gonna come into a different code base and be like checked sibling like what the fuck are you talking about yeah my argument for you is um i so i've been doing a lot of code audits sure you have and the parts of the apps that are the hardest to understand are the giant javascript front ends Mm -hmm. like by far Mm -hmm. they're way harder to understand than controllers and views with blade components that you know if you have a i have a blade component called um called modal and it takes a slot Mm -hmm. for the content and it behaves perfectly well there's two slots there's the the dialogue which is and then the the trigger and you pass dom into both and then in the component modal component or the blade component i have that wonky css so it only exists in one place and it's consistent it's a consistent clean api so you won't see those weird checked selectors everywhere i get what you're saying it's off the beaten path for sure but hand me a wad of of like react or or view as your front end and holy crap i have the hardest time figuring anything out like in the real world these these apps it's like i go through them everything makes sense it's all good it's clear you understand blah 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 then you get to the front end you're like whoa (laughs) when it's a real app you know something like hashtag real not these like green Mm -hmm. fields Mm -hmm. yeah yeah no i hear you yeah i hear you for sure so yeah i guess that's that's the philosophy um i wrote a a page on the new liveware docs called the liveware developer did you catch that at all no i think you might like it <laughs> you, you'd sounds probably just laugh philosophical at it. what's that sounds very philosophical yeah i was gonna this was gonna be the um the liveware philosophy tab yeah um, uh-huh. but i have the hardest time verbalizing the liveware philosophy because it's there's so much to me yeah well but, it's because you can never you can never adopt an idea for too long before you start to pick it apart you're saying in general like anybody in general no i'm talking about you but um i mean it's true of me as well to some extent but you you're constantly you're a man in motion yeah you know yeah, you do true. not you do not sit still with an idea so the idea of like 
adopting and landing on like a comprehensive philosophy for Livewire that's not going to change next week seems that is true. Yep, seems difficult. <laughs> yeah, so I found it was just I easier. Think, f- I think the philosophy of Livewire should be like if you like Caleb's intuitions, then good for you because this is the spot where those are going to be realized you know that so that's funny that you verbalized that because that's pretty much why i did the the livewire developer because i realized if i can't codify these philosophies in any way that's coherent cohesive or, or lasting like you said like this mm-hmm. feeling of oh i'm not covering all the bases so instead i basically just wrote about myself except i called it the livewire developer and I'm like, because yeah, you are the developer of Livewire, but you are also <laughs> That's the the uh, the Livewire developer prototype. That's right. It's true. Um, it's it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting because um, Livewire is very exploratory. I guess, like it's the project itself is kind of an exercise in like experimenting and trying to find a way you know yeah Mm -hmm. like whereas like i think there are other projects that you can point to where it's like oh this is like even laravel kind of is like opinionated you know it's like this guy wanted something and it didn't exist and he was like okay i'll make it you know and like sure there were decisions to be made along the way and like explorations but Livewire there's seems, more of a science experiment. It was well, just like it's like an open-ended question almost. Like all right, like mm. how far can we go down this road? Like how possible is this way of life, you know? Yeah. Like let's find out. I can't wait. I cannot wait, Caleb, until someone has a production app with Livewire. I'm going to lose my mind. Just <laughs> I just want to watch. I just want to see it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because it's and I, I don't mean with, like, a live wire component. I mean, like, you know. Like, the whole thing's live wired out. The whole thing is live wire. Yeah. You know? And, like, someone's going to do it. You know. One of these maniacs is going to do it and, like, <laughs> stake their income and livelihood on your project, um, which is hilarious. <laughs> um, and when that happens, it's going to be great because it's going to be the person who does that is going to be a an absolute maniac but b like super down to be the first guy you know what i'm yeah, saying yeah. it's gonna be one of these people who's like oh yeah you think no one's gonna do this i'm gonna do Let's it do blah, blah. you know it's gonna be hilarious yeah I we're i mean that's just inevitable we're getting closer and closer to that person <laughs> like the live wire developer to me is like i've been watching a lot of skateboarding youtube recently nice um just skaters like skating and then i do that hanging out and talking about skating uh and the live wire developer to me has a very like skater vibe which is like oh man they like put they like put skate stoppers on this rail that we always used to skate like let's go get angle grinders and cut the skate stoppers (laughs) off of this rail so that we can shoot a picture for the cover of thrasher that's that is you've captured you've captured my dream aesthetic um i don't know if you're if you're just doing this to flatter me but that is exactly what i want that is exactly what that's what i want for you caleb so (laughs) i i grew up like my whole life skating was like a huge it was my thing my entire life 
Mm-hmm. And and I think about that from time to time when I think about like so Adam's got his like metal thing that's his shtick, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and why did you not tell me this earlier so that I could have started? Uh, you know, when you ask me for when you ask my opinion on things, I'm never comparing it against a rubric of how skaterish is this. But I should be doing that more. It sounds like I guess so. Did you know that I skated at all? I didn't. I mean, I, I could yeah. have guessed because yeah, I, I have a, a little bit. Uh, a deck so. leaning against my kitchen counter at the moment, like I, 10 feet away. I haven't, I haven't like skated, skated in a while. I have longboard now. Okay. But, yeah. Um, like I haven't kick flipped in, I don't know, at least two or three years. Um, so it's been a while since I've like done a trick. Yeah. I don't even know if I can ollie now, but. It's kind of how I am with guitar, you know, where it's like, mm, oh, yeah. that's the thing I did like very intensely as a kid, but I yeah. don't really do much anymore. Yeah. Yep. Sort of same, oh, yeah. same here, not with guitar, but skating rules. Um, yeah, but I've thought about that. Like, well, what, what's my thing? Like my thing would be like in my mind, my, my laptops, like my skateboard deck that has like stickers everywhere and like, it's, I don't know. That's yeah. It's uh yeah no i i agree like it's it's my zoomy stickers stickers. in my on my deck in my wallet and everything like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah totally yeah so anyway but yeah you're totally right like if there's a hurdle you work around it and that's like that is the that is the whole i mean there's so many and also just like the idea you know how like skaters are always like oh like you know i did this down a three stair but can i do it down a five stair like yeah can i like okay like i was able to like whatever 50 50 this but can i whatever crooked grind it or something you know like there's like there's always like a all right how far can i take this you know like how like what is the the edge of my abilities what's the edge of what's possible if i can't do this surely someone can do this i gotta bring my buddy who's better than me over here and see if he can do it on these five stairs you know yeah and it's like that is that's the vibe that i get from the live wire project is like all right like let's set up a ridiculous goal like having a bunch of javascript but not writing any of it you know <laughs> like let's just make up like a, a ridiculous world and then be like all right like how far can i take this can i pre-cache literally all possible worlds like can i have the front end somehow have perfect knowledge of every possibility and like cache that using redis somehow and then you know like it just gets bigger and weirder and trickier. Yeah, it's very much like I'm like, oh, I got an idea. The limits of it. And I'm like yeah. dragging a, like, uh, I don't know, like a kicker ramp, like, a, a, like across the driveway, yeah. you know, like, okay. And you're like moving a dumpster and like. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yep. Yeah. That's exactly it. Yep. That's what it is. Like, yeah. oh, yeah. No, I bet if we. Yeah. Mm-hmm, Which, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, I mean, well, I could talk forever on the virtues of skating and all that and like, yeah. It's like best times of my life. Some of the best times of my life. Just every single day you hang out in a crew of people and there's so many amazing things to it. That's like that I've been unable to, to like get again in my life since. And you know, but there you go. Livewire is my best shot. So anybody uh, in the Mm -hmm. project is just hanging out um, at the three set with me. But sweet. So decal sponsors, 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 sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Honey Badger. 
thank you, Honey Badger, for sponsoring this episode and the company called Honey Badger as well. Um, we're very grateful for Honey Badger. Anyway, Honey Badger is an exception handling. Oh, I always say that. It's an exception. What did we call it? It's an exception tracking. Error monitoring. What's that? Yeah. Error monitoring. Error and monitoring. Exception tracking. Honey Badger is an error monitoring tool that monitors your errors from your Laravel app. If you aren't monitoring your errors and you have a production app, what are you doing with your life? And go to honeybadger.io one forward slash and hit enter, sign up, and uh, you really should sign up because it's completely useful and you definitely need it. And for those of you who have um, error monitoring or looking to make the old switcheroo, Honey Badger is a cool, nice uh, Rails Laravel-esque feeling vibing app with uh, like check-ins built in, which is like heartbeat monitoring for um, uh, heartbeat monitoring for like cron jobs and stuff in your Laravel scheduler and pings or whatever, like uptime monitoring. So it makes sure that, that like your app is still working and not on fire, which is incredibly useful. It integrates with Forge. It keeps track of deployments. Um, there's a really good blog with a lot of good info in it. It's built with Turbolinks. Um, so many good selling points, great customer support and instant Laravel integration, like getting set up is better than any onboarding experience I've had in any error monitoring service to date. Um, yeah, so I'm a huge fan of Honey Badger and I think you should be too. Um, thank you, Honey Badger, for sponsoring the show. Thanks, Honey Badger. We're also brought to you by Rogue Amoeba. So this is uh, the first Rogue Amoeba sponsored episode of the show. Uh, I'm sure that a lot of our listeners know what Rogue Amoeba is, but for those of you that don't, Rogue Amoeba, uh, they make super good software, mainly for the Mac, although they do have a couple of uh, Windows apps as well. Um, Rogue Amoeba is sponsoring four episodes of this show, and it just so happens that I use four Rogue Amoeba apps in my life. So each episode, I'm going to tell you about one of the apps that I use in my everyday life and how I use it starting this week with airfoil let's talk about airfoil caleb you know what airfoil is i don't all right airfoil is uh an app for the mac that does everything to do with airplay so airplay is the apple standard for like broadcasting between like speakers and screens and stuff like that uh airfoil lets you broadcast your mac over airplay to uh, speakers or screens and multiple different sets of speakers and screens and all that. Super cool. But you know what else they have? They have something called Airfoil Satellite, which is a free app that comes with Airfoil when you buy it and allows you to airplay from anything to your Mac. Meaning, I listen to podcasts on my iPhone with Overcast, uh, my preferred podcast app. And if I'm in the middle of a podcast, but I want to sit down at my computer and like hear the alert sounds or something of my computer, I can just airplay from my phone to my computer using Airfoil Satellite and listen to my podcast while I'm connected to my computer. I, they also have a Windows version of Airfoil, so when I'm on my gaming PC, I can play video games while listening to a podcast streamed over Airplay from my iPhone on my Windows PC. It's buck wild. You can do anything in the world with Airplay using Airfoil. It's super, super, super cool. So if and I if have, have m- a, I need to make some, like, hypothetically, I need to make some gluten-free pumpkin spice muffins, and the recipe mm-hmm. is on my laptop, which is in clamshell mm-hmm. mode, docked, 
and I don't want to mm-hmm. take my laptop over to the kitchen counter, prop it up on the paper towel roll, potentially splash it with dishes water um, mm-hmm. or pumpkin spice batter. But I have an iPad and a phone. I can access the recipe that I can only get on my computer on my iPad or phone. Uh, I don't know if you can airplay to your iPad. There are iPad apps that let you airplay to your iPad, but you could definitely airplay to an Apple TV if you had a TV in your kitchen. Um, and if you had like, if you were like, say, listening to something and you had like a HomePod or any airplay connected speaker, like a Sonos, you could uh, airplay to your airplay connected speakers as well. Gotcha. So it's very cool. Savit. So yeah, airfoil uh, by Rogue Amoeba. Go to rogueamoeba.com if you want to go buy airfoil. And next week I'll tell you about a different Rogue Amoeba app. Sweet, sweet. Thank you, Rogue Amoeba. Boom. Boom. Decal. Amoeba is spelled A-M-O-E-B-A. It's a weird word. Amoeba. Amoeba. What's up? You had a, you had a topic. I, I could hear it coming off your lips. That's why I had to interject with the sponsors. Oh, yeah. Where where was it headed? I mean, there's I places know. to head. I just don't. I want. Oh yeah. We're talking about skating and stuff. Okay. Transition. Um. So one thing that we should run over quick. We talked about the. This is just cool stuff, not related to really anything. Um, which I think I started to tell you about that blog post. Oh, yeah, I started to tell you this, and then we got off on a 40-minute sidetrack, um, which is great. Uh, yep. The blog post about transpiling, Babel transpiling in Line.js. Sure. Right. So, basically, I so I was, I was told D. Cole some of this already, and that's why we had to stop our conversation the other day. I was like, we need to record stat, because I need to tell you all these things. Um, so, basically... I was sitting there and realizing that like the biggest pain point of inline JS in my mind, like it lacks that purity that I can use ES6 confidently and not worry about older browsers because sure. I know just Babel has my back. Um, but I was like, so I started like looking into it and is there like a runtime, you know, Babel thing and there is Babel runtime, but it's not what you think. And, but there is Babel standalone, which is just a JavaScript file you can import with unpackaged, like in a script tag. Um, and it'll find any script tag that you have type text Babel instead of text JavaScript, and it'll transpile that stuff and run it for you, which is crazy. Fuck wild. And I was, Fuck wild. Yeah, totally wild. And I was like pumped, super pumped. I, I bought some time on a, like, a, uh, I forget what it's called. I actually wanted them to see if they'd sponsored the show because I loved the experience. It's called Lambda Test. It's kind of like browser stack, except you mm-hmm. can pay for just one-off chunks of time, which is so much better nice. for me very cool um and the interface is really nice so so i spun up like ie11 just to see if i could get this working on ie11 and uh and i did and it was great and i blogged about it um but the problem with it the biggest problem with it is the bundle size or the size of this javascript Babel standalone is three it's about 300 kilobytes Mm -hmm. it's pretty big that's pretty big livewire is like 30 some might even be like 16 I forget, yeah. depending on the it's build huge. and the minifying. I think it's like it's no more than thirty. Yeah. And I think that's a big old it's a big old chunk. It is. Ember JS, the front end of Ember is four hundred kilobytes, I believe. So it's not like ridiculous, but for what you're getting, it's not amazing. Um yeah. and granted it's cached. So mm-hmm. it's not a huge deal. But um 
but still, you know, it's kind of that little that little sliver in the shoe that's like, ooh, this isn't perfect. Not um, to mention whatever calculation time it takes to transpile JavaScript. True. Yep, that's definitely a very real thing. Like some of the listeners I had, like on like on document content load, like didn't work because that had already happened. Oh, by the time right. it got to it. So I don't know if it's just because Babel only transpiles after content load, but. So I was like, that's interesting. I'm fine with that. I just have to know. I have to know exactly when the JavaScript is executing. Um, so anyway, yeah, not totally ideal. I definitely jumped the gun on on the amount of ideal that this solution is. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Sebastian Dedine, Dedine, oh man, I really got to know how to pronounce Dedane. this. Name. How do you pronounce it? I I have only heard his name spoken out loud by you. No. So I pronounce that how you pronounce it. Dedane, Dedane. I think it's Dedine. Dedine. That's what I would say. That's what I would say. That's so, what you have said, and that's right, why I would that say. is what I said. Sebastian Dedine um, hit me up and was like, "Yo, this is really cool. I wonder if you could conditionally load all of this so that you're not passing this load on to any users except for like IE11 and old browsers." I said this. I said this to you. What's that? That's never mind. Whatever. What'd you say? He might have. He he also said it, but I definitely had this whole conversation with you. Really? Yes. And then you were like, no, you can't because it's text slash Babel, not text slash JavaScript. Oh, funny. So I told him the same thing for posterity's uh-huh. sake. Like I did. Mm-hmm. I did tell him the exact same thing. Okay. I wasn't like, oh, great idea. <laughs> but it is like the only solution. That is a great solution. But yeah, you'd have to do some weird stuff around that text Babel thing. Um Yeah which I haven't quite figured exactly out yet, but here's what I thought. This is not mm-hmm. necessarily a great solution, but I'm not in the business of great solutions. I'm in the business of having fun at the moment. So I was just kind of looking to like... Super push fun, different... super terrible solutions. What's that? Caleb Porzio. <laughs> Caleb Porzio, fun, bad solutions. Exactly. Yeah. Um, for people listening who are mad at me, I am interested in the best solutions, but... For exploration's sake, I'm no longer like not exploring things because I think they're bad. I'm like yeah. digging in and making it's sure that skater they're bad. mentality. You wouldn't get it. Yeah, you yeah, they wouldn't get it. Posers. <laughs> um, so skate. Is that a Walmart board? Yeah, from Dicks. Why is Dicks selling Walmart boards? Uh, um, Decol. Mm-hmm. So I wrote a. Mm-hmm. <laughs> A blade directive no way. called Babel. Uh-huh. And you oh, can, right. You were talking about this. So you can just pass it JavaScript. So you just, mm-hmm. like, in your normal blade file, you do at mm-hmm. Babel, and then you mm-hmm. type a bunch of JavaScript. And when your blade file is compiling, which Laravel just does mm-hmm. for you, when it's converting it from blade to raw PHP, it will also convert that Babel. It'll run it through actual Babel. Um, so on the back end. On the back end, yeah. What's what's the performance hit like? Steep. <laughs> <laughs> so, if we pretend that there's no performance hit, this solution sure. is killer. Right, but there is, right? Because it's, it's it's probably pretty hardcore. Um, so right now it's 500 milliseconds. Yeesh. So yeah, but that's it's only funny for the because... first load of any blade file, and you can pre-compile all your views, so it's not a huge issue. But it's an issue. Allow me allow me to take a, a abstract thousand yard look at this. Yeah. Um and just say 
maybe the reason that we have build steps as bad as they are is because it's better to run Babel one time and then not have to run it on runtime for every user than it is to run it live for everyone. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. Know, you. Like, that, that's what this is. Chances are that if, if there, chances are that you're not the first person who's thought of this, and chances are that if it was like a viable way to do things without a, you know, if there was a way to get around to the performance hit, that like, it would have been done, and we wouldn't be running Webpack every time we built our, our thing, you know. Yeah, I I disagree with you on a bunch of levels. Okay, start with the first cool. one. <laughs> first one is. I am doing that. Like this, this solution does pre-compile all the Babel. Oh, okay. So instead of you running npm run dev, it just happens when Blade compiles your view. Okay. Which only cool. happens once that's, or every time you change your Blade view. That's actually cool. That, okay. Wow. That's very cool. Yeah. So that's cool because there's zero, in theory, zero performance hit for the user. The performance hit is uh-huh. all the developer. This is funny. So this kind of... Uh, here's the real question. Mm-hmm. How do route caches clear? No clue, man. <laughs> because this could interact with like our session lottery for everything idea. Okay. You know, because someone... Oh, no, so it's just the first request. The first request runs it. Yeah. Right? Every time the route cache clears, the first request gets a 500 millisecond delay yep. because they're running Babel. But everyone else has it in real time. Yep. And normally, I mean, you can just artisan... Uh, and you can just route cache clear on deploy. Well, there's view caching. So you can artisan... Or, view... Sorry, not route cache. Yeah, view cache clear. Okay, yeah, I was confused. You can just view cache, like pre-cache mm-hmm. everything. Pre-compile or view... Yeah. I don't know what it is. But you can just pre-compile everything. Pretty sure. Yeah, that's pretty dope. Yeah. So it is really cool. And it's nice, like... but Okay, but what... If there's views, so view caching, does it, when does it not work? When does the cache need to get busted? Oh. Like there must be something where like a view is so dynamic that the cache. Yeah, yeah. Work. Yep. Anytime and you so change a that... uh, blade directive, you have to recompile the views. That doesn't automatically happen. Right. It's a big hang up no... anytime you're writing your own blade directives and you like keep thinking some, that everything's broken in life but you just have an right. artisan view cleared. But what about something where there's like conditional, a lot of conditional partials or something like that? Nope. It's all, that's all just that's compiled. That's all cached? Yeah. Because the condition exists in PHP, not in Blade. Uh-huh. So Blade just compiles. This happens at oh, Blade compile all, all the partials are cached as partials, you mean? So maybe here's a difference in understanding. Yep. Blade gets compiled into raw php yes then the php is run and spits out yes raw html yes this happens when it's compiled to raw php right so it's not it's not caching like html output that it's Mm -hmm. doing it's doing the compilation when you're compiling to php so any amount of dynamic anything like mm -hmm. so all the blade includes are not all the blade includes stay blade include or stay php includes yeah yep totally okay cool, cool, cool yep well then that yeah that makes total sense you should do that yeah and you well i guess you are doing that yep 
Um, so it's it's totally perfect because it's it is not uh, there's no hit for the user, which is great. Um, but there is a hit for the developer, which is not ideal. So that's something that I need to figure out. Um, but how I arrived at the solution, the I think, is pretty developer? clever. Wait, wait, wait. I, I didn't track that. What's the hit for the developer? Well, if you're sitting there and you're working on a page, every time you change that blade file, you're going to have to re-render the Babel. But isn't that happening anyway if you're running Webpack Watch or something? Yeah. Yep. It is. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's not worse. Well, that's funny. Yeah, you're right. Okay, cool. Yeah. I bet Sweet. there's probably a All small right. performance hit because it's a fresh, like, node thing and not, like, a hot process, like, watching. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, it won't start until you reload the page, right? As opposed to... Uh, if you're running a watcher, it starts as soon as you save the file. So it might be finished by the time you get to your browser. True. Yes. Yep. That's true. If only there was an artisan watch. Uh, we just need to make an artisan watch that just clearing. keeps all the blade views compiled. That's funny. Hell yeah. Dude, actually, if that existed and it was extensible and you could like register watchers for your artisan watch. There's so many things like, for example, um, like the headless Ziggy that some people need uh, for like totally API driven apps or something. Mm -hmm. Um, That requires an artisan command to generate your routes file. Mm, You can just generate it on every. But you could just stick that in your artisan watch. Check if the file that's being changed is like web.php or whatever. Or anything. Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh, that could be so cool. There could be some fun stuff with Artisan Watch. You could create a little browser shot or, um, yeah, browser shot um, implementation so you don't need gulp or anything to browser shot reload. I don't know. You could mm. do stuff. Mm. That is cool. That's cool. <laughs> That's a good idea. That's c- um, Back at it again with the good ideas. Oh, we're getting there. Um, so the, the, the way I achieved this, I think, is cool and worth worth mentioning. Please tell me. So the first way, the way that I thought, like, so Ruby, I told you about this, but like a Babel transformer exists for Ruby. So Rubyists can do this. It's easy for them. PHP Mm -hmm. has one, but it requires uh, the PHP V8 extension or whatever, um, which basically gives you a Chrome V8 JavaScript engine inside of PHP and you can execute Mm -hmm. node inside of PHP, which is crazy. Um, which is really cool, but you have to, you know, I'm like anti PHP extension in the sense that I don't think I would be surprised if I ever produce anything that makes somebody install an extension. Yeah. Um, no one likes them. Yeah. Cause I hate it so much. And I just upgraded my PHP and now like X debug just is like disconnected somehow. Like just, you know, it's just annoying. Yep. Um, so, uh, so PHP V8, right. Um, it looks for that. It relies on that. So I started digging into like things that execute JavaScript in PHP. And basically this is the predominant way of handling it is you start by seeing is PHP V8 an available extension? If it is, okay, execute this JavaScript in that engine and, you know, spit out the output. Is yes. there, uh, if not, is there a node binary that we can execute? Um, meaning like PHP, like exec function or backticks or system or whatever. 
like you're yes. literally or a symphony process you're you're like creating a new process and calling a command like a command line command within your php process but for some reason mm-hmm. the node binary thing didn't work for me like if i run exec node or which node or something inside php it will spit nothing out like it doesn't know about my path for some reason mm-hmm. you have any idea why that would be i guess it would be does exec like know about a bash profile? Can you exec profile and see what? Yeah, that would you know be the thing saying? to do. Like, yeah, you should like figure out what environment you live in. I'm write that down. Yeah. Yep, that's true. So that's a good one. So, um, so anyway, so like Spotsy has this server side rendering package that has a portion of it that does what whatever I need though to do. you could just you could just have an environment variable that's your node path so it shouldn't matter that's what that's what they do it's like okay you have an environment variable you tell us your node path and then we use that and we're all good so that's fine but still i don't know something about it is like i would still be a little hesitant to use it because i would feel like oh does it then i have to find my node path on forge and like what if i'm deploying this on something that doesn't have node like what if I'm, does this work with vapor? How does that even work? You know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It adds to all these like questions. So we were talking and I'm like, what if I could get like a, I'm like, I wish there was just a Chrome driver binary. Like, why can't I just have a binary? Like can right. node just a be a node binary? What's that? A node binary. Yeah. Can't there just be a node binary, like a file that I include in this package? So it has no dependencies on your system. So I achieved the goal. Decal. You have one. I have one. So from what I found at a cursory glance, there's no real like node binary, um, but there is a, a tool called PKG for package and it's by mm-hmm. Zeit, the guys who do now the Lambda thing. Yep. Um, Zeit package and you can package any JavaScript, any node app, you can package into a binary, like a standalone binary super Whoa. easily. And if this is just a dope thing in general. Yeah. Because it's just awesome. You could like write node with node modules and everything and put it in a binary and it'll just work. That's super cool. Yeah. So I did, I created like basically a Babel binary that you just pass it a file name and it's <laughs> insane. Out. You're so crazy. That's so funny. Yep. So, wow. So are you going to now make a WebSockets binary? Interesting. <laughs> That does open up the possibility for that. Yeah, you just make your whole Socket.io API for WebSockets, and then you put it in your binary, and then you just execute it from PHP. Right. Yeah, I just solved solved your whole problem. I mean, the problem is that it's easy enough to just write a PHP WebSocket solution. (laughs) Yeah, but no, 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 no. But that's... That's the whole problem is that you run into those concurrency issues. That well, in production. Have. Oh, I see what you're saying. Do it in. Yeah, we, but we've been talking about like avoid pusher. Oh, boy. Because pusher's a paid service. Avoid pusher by using Socket.io. And then we were like, oh, if, if only there was an easy way to run Node from PHP, and you could then you could just run Socket.io. Oh, whoopsie doopsie. You can't always count on people to have Node installed on their servers. But what if you just ship a binary that is Node and Socket.io and the entire WebSocket <laughs> API that you build? packaged into a binary that comes with livewire or comes with like the livewire websockets extension dude that's and cool <laughs> that's so cool dude i just solved your whole thing that's cool you're good you're good i got you dog. i dig it nice good job drawing lines 
Oh, dude, this is so sick. That is sick. That's that's like that's really buck wild weird stuff. I know. I was getting down and dirty because like node module dependencies that wouldn't get packaged. On, What's that? Or have you tried running the Babel stuff on different Linux distros and stuff? And oh, work. so package uh, PKG uh, spits out for three different targets. And it includes oh God, all, so most cool. of the major architectures. So you get a Mac <sighs> binary, a Windows binary, yes. and a Linux binary, just like Chrome driver. Yes. Yep. That's exactly so what So you just want. detect the environment that LiveWare is running in, execute that binary, oh, and that's so silly. you're good to go. Who are these guys? I know. Zite is just on fire. The only <laughs> downside of this, and it's not a true downside. It's just one of those things that make, gives me pause. The binaries are pretty big because they have all of Node. So it's yeah. What? Who cares? Who cares? The binary for my little babble is like fifty megabytes. Yeah, whatever. You download it once. Yeah, and it's not like version control. It's yeah, yeah. It's like when you download yeah. Dusk. Dusk is a that's a big binary. Chrome driver, big old binary, big fat binary. So that's pretty sweet, huh? Yeah, it's super cool. Yeah. So I was pumped about that. So I created for myself. I'll maybe put it out there a package that doesn't rely on any system dependencies and uses Babel, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, that was cool. Yep. That's one of those things. Like, I, It's become my new favorite thing in life is like, don't settle and push hard at a wall <laughs> and just keep and talk to D. Cole and Mitch and like, you know, work through stuff. Yeah. Um, so that's cool. I wanted to mention that. I also want to transition and talk about Live View, like Phoenix Live View. Mm-hmm. You familiar with Phoenix Live View there, D. Cole? Yeah, I mean, you've told me about how it was the inspiration for LiveWire and many other things, but I've never used it. You've never used it, really? No. Yeah, me neither. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you wrote all of LiveWire, you've never used Live View. Isn't That's that cool. funny? Yeah, yeah, that's great. I know. I think I was thinking to myself, like, man, I really should like get a local install of Phoenix Live you going, but that I don't know. I'm no Elixir developer. I'm oh, sure no I could way. do it, I've but it, it would not be easy for me. Yeah, I tried to be once. But if you did do it, you could in you could error check it with Honey Badger. True. Very well. Sebastian Dedine is uh, an Elixir developer. Is he really? Yeah, I was digging around something of his and I saw a bunch of Elixir packages that he wrote and I was like, Oh, Phoenix. Um, so, D. Cole, I watched the Phoenix Live View keynote the other day. Mm-hmm. So they just had their um, their is it Elixir Conf, um, mm-hmm. the U.S. one, the EU mm-hmm. one, and they had the U.S. one in February or something. And I'm caught up on the keynote from it, where he basically launched Live View, mm-hmm. um, like officially. And dude, this framework is next level really like it's far beyond anything in the world (laughs) what is it tell me so it's basically uh it's like livewire Mm -hmm. except it works on web sockets Mm -hmm. uh true you know web like they're called phoenix channels which um Mm -hmm. so phoenix is fast and it's built this way such that concurrent connections are fine and they've benchmarked this up to like 2 million connections or something. It's ridiculous. Sure, sure, sure. It's really good. Really good. Built for this kind of thing. So right out of the gate, they just have an advantage over Livewire. Like they for can sure. just, 
And I'll talk about like the differences between live wire and live view and why I think it's not that big of a deal. Um, Mm -hmm. Like we do things to adapt to that, to that constraint, you know, that they just don't have Mm -hmm. to do. Um, Yeah. yeah. So I think live wire is going to be its own thing that is really efficient in its own way, but because it just, it's not going to try to just be Phoenix live view because it's not in Elixir. So for one, when they release Phoenix Live View, it's very kind of similar to the original prototype that I wrote in PHP. It's concurrent WebSocket connection. You call back to it and say, run this method on this component. And you don't have to hydrate anything because it just exists in memory yep. in the back end. It re-renders the full DOM, spits it back out, the front end DOM diffs, and you know patches the update. Sure. Right? So they are doing ridiculous things now. <laughs> what are they doing? They're doing this diff tracking stuff. So first, let me tell you the output. I'm going to go start with the end of the story, with the great reveal, and then work backwards. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Chris McCord on stage, he built a little, I don't know what it was. Let's just say it's a counter app. <laughs> Let's just mm-hmm. take a random example. Sure. His thermostat app. He hits the plus on the thermostat. And yeah. you look at the request that gets sent to the server and back. Uh-huh. And... Oh, what happens to this and and whatever i'll just tell you the payload that gets returned to the front end curly brace count colon two and curly brace whoa so it's ridiculous it basically has the same performance of an spa because all that gets transferred is the data that changes it's even better How, performance. What, so what is what is doing all the merging in the front end? What's this JavaScript? I know. What is this JavaScript? It's fairly straightforward too. Like I understand it and I wrote a prototype for Livewire. Um, what it does is it takes uh, the equivalent of a blade file in, in um, Elixir. It's called like an EX file or something. Mm-hmm. And somebody wrote this thing called Live EEX, which makes all this possible. And what it does is it parses out your... Oh, no. Are you going to start shipping a PHP binary to JavaScript? (laughs) (laughs) That would be crazy. Don't tempt me. You can run PHP in JavaScript. We know this. Um, We all know. (laughs) So, decal. It converts your... Like, if you have a blade file, let's say, that's your counter example. Just normal blade file, blade.php. You have a div... You have an H1 tag, and inside of that H1 tag, you have curly braces, money sign count, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So what this machine does, if I let's say it existed in Blade or Laravel, it takes that Blade file, and instead of rendering the output of, you know, div H1, the number one, because it processed your PHP and then, you know, the end tags, it has two sections, uh, statics and dynamics so the dynamic array it returns is the number one just the value one in the in a javascript array the second the the uh, statics array is a list of all the static pieces so the first one is the opening div and h1 the second one is the closing div and h1 okay so that's what gets passed to the front end for the first time now the front end has this little machine and that like collates all the statics and dynamics. Exactly. And all it does is zip through them. It's collating. Exactly. It's just like a collection zip type thing. Yep. It zips up the dynamic portions with the static portions. And then when you change something, 
you only have to send back which dynamic is updated and what the new value is, and it'll rezip it up, get your HTML, and still use MorphDOM to do the diffing and patching, just like I'm doing. And it reduces the payload like mad. That's crazy. Yeah. Like ridiculous. The so payloads you, you are so small. You made a prototype and how, it, what's, what's up with it? Does it work? Oh yeah. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's possible. I, it's possible. It would be crazy. Why not, why not do it? I may, I may do it, but it's not the first priority. Um, uh-huh. cause I really don't think that this, that's that like there, I got other speed issues before I start like, sure, sure, you sure. know, I mean like Phoenix, people are writing games in live view. Like it's nuts. Yeah, we're yeah, not yeah. writing games we're submitting forms yep <laughs> but it's uh, crazy though it is crazy the one thing that i would have to do is keep track of oh not even i oh, forget it i mean it's crazy dude yep it's crazy i would just have to know i would have to know the last state somehow to know what changed which i already can do yeah i could build it i got really deep into yeah, the blade compiler and how it works um yeah. And there's this function in PHP called, what is it called? Get all tokens? Tokens get all? You ever heard of this? Ooh, no, but that sounds right up my alley. It's how Blade works. You pass in a Blade file, and I'm catching myself as I'm saying it. Pretend that Blade doesn't exist. You pass it a PHP file, and mm-hmm. it will basically parse it all out and like the first into an array. And the first item is like a bunch of static content with a type constant of like, static or something the next one's like open php tag the next one's like echo statement you know so they're tokens like a syntax tree type thing yep yeah and php just has this and that's how blade works that's cool yeah so i just wrote something that did that that just looked for dynamic chunks and separated them out and yeah so anyway that seems like there that's the big thing i was like this f- Maybe I'm missing the complexity, but it doesn't seem like it would be that hard to implement. Are there side effects? Oh, because you're using your payload for more things than that. Yeah, it would right? still reduce the payload. Yeah, that's true, man. It would get rid of the big dumb hunk going back and forth, which is kind of a big deal. Yeah, especially if you were going to do all of that like prefetching stuff. Yeah, that's true. Right? Like if you were going to prefetch a bunch of possible worlds yep it would be worth doing but right now like chris mccord didn't even write live eex like someone else on the Mm -hmm. core team did like he's got help you know if i write this thing the last thing i need is to maintain a compiler (laughs) sure right now (laughs) Uh, so yeah that that would suck yep although it would be a very skater thing to do yep but it's possible (laughs) it is possible and it's cool super cool hey do you uh do you keep track of the skater named andy anderson no you should look into andy anderson he's an interesting cat he rides a compl- he rides his own deck shape so he invented hmm. a deck shape um it's different he rides a nine and a half board like a super wide board okay um with his own deck shape that's like really like spooky strange deck shape weird and he just does insane stuff uh because he's like got he's designed this deck to like let him do so many crazy things Hmm. 
Anyway, kind of. He's not the guy with like crazy trucks that like go other ways. Like spinny trucks. No, no, no. Okay. He he's always wearing like a kind of looks like a baseball batter's helmet mixed with like a military helmet with a chin strap, and he's got like long hair. Hmm. Anyway, I'm I was thinking there's like an experimental skater guy. I don't know who it is who like. He has a deck that he made that's like yeah, yeah, yeah. in the middle with the I I know what you're talking about yeah 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 well he'll he'll like kickflip the front of it but yeah. not the back yeah. yeah 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 yep weird weird stuff weird stuff good stuff yeah I, I'm not up on like the new skaters so I just watch like just go videos look at, of go look at Andy Anderson yeah I'll have to check you'll it like out. him go find a video of him explaining his deck like there's like you know how many features does a skateboard deck have you know it's like tail nose a little bit of concave Mm -hmm. that's it (laughs) you know his skateboard has maybe like eight features wow nine features you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. like he just designed this deck like the uh the back of the tail is just chopped off so it 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 comes to like a flat end Mm. At the back, which lets him pop higher hmm. because the the deck like, oh. goes down further. Yeah. And it means that he has to be less accurate with where he puts his foot when he pops because no matter where he puts it along that it's flat be edge, he's still going to hit the flat edge. Yeah. That's cool. So it's just stuff like that where like he's just like a really creative, interesting person who's like, you know, I could probably get more out of a skateboard if I just like did this and this and this. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, there's something there that's like a certain type of person that um like going into that realm of modifying what is a skateboard. Mhm. You're going in dangerous places. Like you're yeah. potentially um like you really have to be in it for experimentation, you know. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Cuz you're not going to like go to a skate competition and use your wacky deck or maybe Except that he does. Okay, <laughs> so maybe you great. do. And yeah. and people just I don't know I'm thinking like to, he wins them like those are the big game change well I guess it's he he wouldn't like this wouldn't be something that he would want everybody to use this is just for him well he now sells his boards okay yeah um well or Powell Powell Peralta makes oh. they sponsor him and okay. they make they make a this so they make his main board which is a 95 which is like a ridiculous width yeah. that no one should ever skate that's like a marty mcfly skateboard <laughs> um and then but they also make an 85 version which is a little bit more manageable um that is more like for the general public yeah but yeah it's a really interesting board that's interesting i always thought skinny boards for like skinny guys like mm-hmm. uh, so i always got like I don't even remember, like six really and a half or something. Boards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I got them Which like... they flip really fast. What's that? They flip really fast. Yeah, that's what I loved about them. Because you can yeah. do like like triple kickflips and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Um, I just felt agile. I'm like, I'm a small guy. I'd just be agile with it. But one of my buddies, like when we we skated, he was like the new kid and he sucked. And then we all stopped skating and he just kept skating with like other friends. He was a lot younger. Mm-hmm. And then... We we just like grabbed our decks one time and went down to this little school that we used to skate at, and uh, and he like had gotten insanely good, 
like super good hmm. and he just killed us <laughs> in a game of skate and uh and he skates an eight and a half and he's a small guy and i'm like that's insane yeah. but i just didn't think i don't know i always had this bias that like fat boards are Skateboard. for fat people who are bad at skateboarding you know mm-hmm. but it's not true at all yeah this guy's board is crazy big yeah but yeah check him out. so much stability yeah well and just like i think i think the thing with it is like you have to be kind of less accurate with a lot of things yep it's i think more predictable and less nuanced yep but yeah anyway anyway good podcast. good good podcast. podcast a lot of good stuff there to call a lot of oh, good stuff dude. in there some oh hmm. really quick yeah can we really quick yeah really quick so livewire did you see the thing did you see livewire at this no the at this directive no i think you'll dig it it's uh so the the quick story inline scripts basically my mm-hmm. goal is to have live work components like single file view components where you have scripts and styles in them mm-hmm. and right now you can do you can push to stacks you know like script stacks and stuff mm-hmm. so you can do that right now which is great so you kind of have javascript ability in your your live wire components sure but how do you access what if you want to programmatically call a method on your live wire component from javascript sure sure sure, sure. not easy you have to like fire an event with livewire.fire, livewire.emit, right? Mm-hmm. So I added a blade directive that's at this inside of mm-hmm. livewire. So in your script tag, you can do at this dot call dot get data or set data um, inside of any JavaScript you want. Hell yeah. Headless livewire. Yeah, exactly. So to me, I'm like, S-P-E-A. that's what it is. Headless S-P-E-A. livewire. <laughs> I, talk, I told, told uh, Mitch about this. I was telling him, and he was like, I get it. I just don't see why it's cool. And I'm like, dude. He's like, I don't see the, the power. I'm like, dude. Dude, what if we made a framework that let you not write any JavaScript, and then you got to write an SPA that used <laughs> that as the back end? <laughs> yeah. So I thought that I was pumped about that. And the at this, for some reason, VS Code gets syntax highlighted, so it looks beautiful hell yeah yep sweet yep so many things so many things yeah yeah you're popping off over there i'm having fun i tell you that if you don't make that website it's binary i'm gonna be really sad in time make it in time yeah i should just as a test to see if i could get socket io and a reasonable binary working that would be crazy yeah it'd be buck wild oh shoot my dupe decoy I would love to. All right. Good podcast. Good podcast, sir. Mm. Cue the ow from music. Bum, bum, bum.